We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So another week, another Advent Christmas symbol. This week we uh, are diving in to one of my favorite, but to kind of preview, we've been looking at the objects, we've been looking at the images, we've been looking at the rituals associated with our celebrations of Christmas because we want to discover what they might have to teach us about God's heart and coming. Our goal is to cultivate our expectation, it's to reignite our hope. We're trying to reinfuse the familiar with meaning so that we might experience God's grace and the grace of this season afresh. And so far, we've looked at our practice of lighting up the darkness. At Christmas time, we've explored the true story of St. Nicholas. We've investigated the significance of Jesus' swaddling claws. And then today, we're going to seek to understand any special meaning behind this. The gifts of the Magi, which are, if you remember, are what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you've never understood what those last two are, we have some genuine product in the building for your examination. Don't eat it. It's not edible. But you can come check it out afterwards. But we're going to get ahead of ourselves, so I want us to actually investigate, to encounter these three gifts in their proper context within the Christmas narrative. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and we will begin in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You may recognize these wise men from your nativity displays. You may recognize them from that beloved carol, my wife's favorite that I opened our service with. Who are they? Are they actual kings from the Orient or are they something else entirely? Well, Matthew uses the Greek word magoi for them. We pronounce it magi. It's from where we get our English word magician. And while wise men is an accurate translation of that word, it does mean a whole lot more than just men who possess wisdom. Magi was a technical term. And in the ancient world, it spoke of a a particular class of individuals. The magi, they were... Experts in all aspects of the occult, divination, augury, astrology, sorcery, etc. Well, they were also students of history. They were these keen observers of the natural world. And they were widely respected. They were held up for their discernment, for their ability to foresee the future. And, and it was believed to kind of manipulate the course of events in a positive direction. 
So these wise men, they served as royal advisors across the ancient Near East. And in the pages of the Old Testament, we meet a few magi by name. There are Janus and Jambres. In the court of Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus, these are the two men that seek to replicate Moses' miraculous signs. There is in the book of Number the pagan diviner Balaam, the guy with the talking donkey, who's hired by Israel's enemies to curse God's people. But every time he opens his mouth to pronounce a curse, only blessing pours forth. And then, of course, after this past year, we should all be well acquainted with the most renowned member of the Babylonian and Persian magi, the Jewish prophet Daniel, whom they knew by the name Belteshazzar. So no, these men were not foreign heads of state from different parts of the world. They're not three of them, and their names are not Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, as some of the songs say. All of that is later tradition. It's fanciful invention. In truth, these were stargazing proto-scientists. These were the educated masters of all things dark and arcane. They were counselors to some eastern king. Most likely, they were servants of the Nabataean king, King Aretas IV, And while I hesitate to bore you with a history lesson, I think the background is important. In ancient days, the kingdom of Nabataea, it spanned the Arabian Peninsula from the Red Sea in the west to Syria in the north, all the way down to Yemen in the south. And their capital was at the ancient city of Petra in modern-day Jordan, which is that incredible site the city that's carved into the very face of the desert rock. And Nabataean success was rooted in two things. It was rooted in their ability to capture and store rainwater and their mastery of horse-based military technology. So they have these secret cisterns across, hidden across the desert wastes and they're astride, they're galloping Arabian stallions And they get to, these Arab traders are controlling all of the commerce that's moving across their part of the world. And to this lucrative control of trade, they added their possession of rich gold mines, which had been fabled from the days of the Queen of Sheba. And they held a monopoly on the cultivation of the tree sap, the gum resins, from which frankincense and myrrh were derived. The trees only grow in southern Yemen. So massively wealthy, these Nabataeans were allies of both Herod the Great and of Rome. And so ostensibly, these wise men, they're diplomats sent from the Nabataean king to pay respects to Judea's newborn king. And this leads us to the mystery of the Bethlehem star. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, the Magi were careful watchers and mappers of the night sky. And they often saw connections between what was taking place in the heavens and what was happening down on the earth. 
And apparently, they start to witness something astounding. What it was, astronomers have been speculating from as far back as Johannes Kepler. And the theories range from a comet or a supernova or some spectacular conjunction of planets and a part of the night sky that they associated with with Judea. And it seems that whatever it was, this heavenly light, it seems to confirm magi lore that they have stewarded for centuries, for generations. The powerful Balaam son of Beor had foretold this, and we read this in the book of Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. A star shall come out of Jacob. That's what the Magi's had taught. That's what they had remembered. And all of a sudden, they see what they are long been looking for. So whatever was happening in the night sky, it it prompts these magi to alert their boss that a new king has been born in Judea. And so they head out on this diplomatic mission to pay him homage For me, it causes Psalm 2 to kind of ring in my ears. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Our story, it continues in the gospel of Matthew here in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Micah 5.2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea and Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. It appears that the Magi, when they had embarked They didn't realize that the child born king of the Jews was not Herod's son. 
They had gone to the capital. They were expecting to find a newborn prince in Jerusalem's royal palace. But this proves not to be the case. And their arrival, it is unsettling to their ally Herod. It is unsettling to his whole administration. It's unsettling to the city itself. Herod, if you don't know, he was... He reigned in Judea as a a puppet, a a client king of Rome. And he was the son of a Nabataean princess and of an Edomite, an Idumean who had been forcibly converted to Judaism. So Herod's subjects, they chafed under his rule. They didn't see him as legitimate. They didn't see him as truly Jewish. And he was particularly resisted, and there's evidence of this, over and over again by the villagers of Bethlehem. Because scripture foretold that it was from their village that Israel's rightful king would come. So not only are the magi telling him that a newborn king has been born for the Jews, but the scribes are reminding him that he's coming from Bethlehem and he's troubled. He's anticipating surely another tiresome showdown with those defiant and villagers of Bethlehem. So you sense that these wise men come to Jerusalem and they're confused by the unfolding of events. Things are not going now as they expected. So they set off to that nearby village But soon the heavens themselves confirm this new direction. And we read in verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How do we account for this outpouring of emotion? Are they just happy to be vindicated? Are they thrilled that their predictions have panned out? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It seems like too strong of a response for just professional pride. It seems that they have been caught up into something truly extraordinary. More than simply reading the signs, now the heavens are leading them, beckoning them towards this unknown child. And we need to just acknowledge the strangeness of this scene. Why was the birth of this hitherto unknown Jewish king good news for these pagan foreign astrologers? Theoretically, this has nothing to do with them. But the God of the universe is at work. His Holy Spirit is drawing them. You see, looking ahead to this moment, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed this in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, 
and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Something is happening in Judea that is climactic, joyful news for every nation on the planet. And the prophet continues, he says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All of those from Sheba shall come. This is the same part of the world we're talking about. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. You see, the Psalms, too, share this expectation that a king would rise in Israel whose reign would mean blessing and renewal for all peoples. Through him would come genuine relief for everyone suffering from violence, from want, from oppression. This is how Psalm 72 puts it. Give the king your justice, O God, your righteousness to the royal son. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flores and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You see, the Magi reveal to us that the Christmas story is a royal story. And through this birth in Bethlehem, the earth receives her king. Recognize the stakes. The wise men have not come all this way to kiss a baby. They don't approach bearing diapers and formula and hot meals and casserole dishes. They recognize that this is no ordinary child, but the world's true sovereign. This is why we read in Matthew 2 verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, 
they departed to their own country by another way. This is why they've come. They've come to pay him homage, to declare their allegiance, to prostrate themselves, to bow down in humility before him and worship. Here's how they respond to the discovery of this gospel child. They open their treasures and they offer him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts, they carry exquisite value. Fine gold, it was the adornment of kings across the ancient world. Frankincense was this essential component in worship ceremonies. All across the globe, regardless of religion, frankincense was offered, it was burnt as incense in worship. And myrrh was a spice that was renowned for its medicinal properties. You can actually buy myrrh oil to this day. It is, uh, apparently it does wonders on sore muscles and it's particularly for arthritis pain. But in the ancient world, it was used primarily to preserve and embalm the dead. Indeed, in the ancient world, It was only kings and the wealthy that got to embalm, to to preserve their dead in hope that there was a future beyond death. And indeed, I would contend that this exact myrrh that the wise men bring is what was used to prepare Jesus' own body for burial. We read this in the Gospel of John chapter 19. So Joseph of Arimathea came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. The Magi were not as stingy as my little display. 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in li- him in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom for the Jews. You see, the later church would see beautiful symbolism in these three gifts, with the gold highlighting Jesus' kingship, with the frankincense, his divinity and the myrrh foretelling of his sacrificial death to save us. But those are later resonances. For the magi, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, these were the standard and proper protocol gifts. Not only did they represent the wealth of their kingdom, but they communicated an important message These foreign dignitaries, these men of wisdom and influence were recognizing this newborn king's sovereignty with these gifts. The Magi's response to the Christmas gospel is to joyfully pay homage. They come to open their treasures and to acknowledge the Christ child's rightful claim, control, and command over three things, over their wealth, which is represented by the gold, 
over their worship, which is represented by the frankincense, and over their future destiny, which is represented by that embalming myrrh. These wise men were making Jesus Lord over all aspects of their life. We come, we give it all. Our wealth, our worship, our future and our hope, all of it we lay before you in worship. And I love that this passage ends by saying that the Magi returned to their own country by another way. I sense a double meaning in that. Not only did they navigate a different road home, but it's more than that. They came as pagan astrologers. That is the way by which they found themselves in Bethlehem. And they left by another way as worshipers of the Christ child. Matthew is the only one who includes this strange story in his gospel. I think he loves the biblical echo with the queen of Sheba. You see that wealthy and ancient queen, her her kingdom had spanned from Ethiopia to Southern Arabia. It's the same territory from which the Magi hail. And she too had once come to Judea. She was drawn by the light of Israel's King Solomon, his wisdom that was a gift from God. And impressed, she gave Israel's king these gifts of gold and spices. For she recognized that his insight, his his righteousness would be a blessing and a boon, not just to Israel, but to all the nations at her time in history. But later in the Gospel of Matthew, he records this. He says, the queen of the south... This is the queen of Sheba from the land of the Magi. She will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something, someone greater than Solomon is here. See, if you've been tracking with us this Advent, you've heard the Christmas gospel proclaimed. A light shines in the darkness. God has given us a revolutionary gift. God himself has stepped in to the frailty of our humanity to rescue and save us. The hope, the world's true hope for real change. Every nation's one worthy and rightful king has been born into the world. That is the good news of this Christmas season. And this good news, it requires a response from us. And this too has been revealed over our Advent journey. It's a light in the darkness and we're invited to step into the light. He's God's revolutionary gift. And we're invited to receive God's radical generosity. He's the child that has been born for us and we're called to embrace him 
But the Magi, they reveal a further depth to our response. If this is truly a royal story, if humanity's long-awaited king has come, you owe him your allegiance. And embracing him means nothing less than joyfully laying your whole life before him in gratitude. It means opening your treasures and giving him everything. Acknowledging his claim, his control, his command over your wealth, over your worship, over your future destiny. The Magi acknowledge Christ as Lord over all aspects of their lives. This Christmas season, how are you doing the same? One greater than Solomon is here, which makes me ask myself, what gift might be I withholding from my Lord? Am I just a fan or am I a follower? Is this just happy news or this news that changes me, mind, body, and soul, past, present, and future? I want to read you a quote from an Argentine church leader this morning for no particular reason that we're reading from someone from Argentina, but I am sure he is happy this morning with their World Cup victory. It is not enough. To know where Jesus was born, as the scribes did, if we do not go there. It's not enough to know that Jesus was born like Herod, if we do not encounter him. When his place becomes our place, when his time becomes our time, when his person becomes our life, then the prophecies come to fulfillment in us. Then Jesus is born in us. He becomes the living God for me. Today we are asked to imitate the Magi. They do not debate. They get out. They do not stop to look, but enter the house. They do not put themselves at the center, but bow down before the one who is the center. The Magi this Christmas say, don't merely be a fan of this good news. Be a follower. He's not just our hero. He's not just our inspiration. He is our king. You might come to the manger one way, but depart another. As someone who has been saved and rescued and radically changed by the birth and the coming, by the death and the resurrection of Christ. Celebrate, adore him, and worship him as your king this Christmas. Let's pray. O God, by the leading of a star, you made known your only begotten Son to us. To us Gentiles who were far from you. Lead us 
who know you by faith, to enjoy in heaven your fullness, the fullness of your divine presence through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, born in Bethlehem, who now lives and reigns with you, God, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.